Welcome to Happy Trails, the podcast for trail riders, episode nine, no hoof, no horse. Hi, I'm your host, Jess. I'm a lifelong rider and recently a modern day horse nomad. I no longer have a house and barn, only the ones I pull behind my pickup truck. My partner Byron and I live on the road full time with our two horses. We've ridden all over, from Maine to California and the deserts to the mountains. No matter where we ride, a sound horse with a strong hoof is key. We've all heard the expression, no hoof, no horse, and know that hoof health is extremely important to welfare and performance. But many of us find hooves and farriery a bit mysterious. For most of my life, I left hoof care to the professionals. I decided to take the initiative to learn barefoot trimming techniques three years ago when we decided to hit the road. Practically, it made sense to do it myself instead of relying on finding a new farrier every few weeks as we moved around the country. It was also a no-brainer financially to trim myself and use hoof boots for protection when necessary instead of traditional shoes. In the beginning, I was intimidated and a bit overwhelmed. I felt like the more I learned, the more I realized I didn't know. I was scared to make a mistake or inadvertently do damage. Now, three years later, I'm much more comfortable and confident in my skills, though I'm still learning and working to improve. Today's guest was instrumental in developing my skills. We met two years ago when I attended one of her clinics in Tucson, Arizona. In that clinic, she dissected two equine cadaver limbs, showing me the parts of the hoof, its internal structures, how the tendons of the leg attach, and how they flex as the horse moves. It gave me an immense appreciation for the functions of the anatomy hidden under the horse's skin. Weeks after the clinic, she came to evaluate the trimming I'd done on my horses and touch up their feet. She explained what I was doing right and what could be improved, answering a ton of questions in the process. Although the entire experience was helpful, the most invaluable takeaway was peace of mind. I found out I wasn't doing anything wrong, and even if I made a mistake, it would grow out. My fear disappeared, and I gained the confidence to keep practicing. So who is this amazing woman? Her name is Paige Poss. She's the owner and creator of the Iron Free Hoof and co-creator of Anatomy of the Equine. She's a member of the American Hoof Association, the Pacific Hoof Care Practitioners, and the American Association of Professional Farriers. She has taught trimming techniques and anatomy around the country and internationally. She currently lives in Tucson, Arizona with her husband, dogs, miniature donkey, and BLM Mustangs. In the following interview, we discuss hoof care, horse health, and anatomy of the hoof as it relates to function and soundness. Paige gives some tips for identifying a laminitic horse and how to see good or bad hoof shape. She tells me about her childhood, fearlessly riding the fields and trails of Arkansas and North Carolina. She talks about her current struggles to overcome riding anxiety since losing her trusted horse, Sophie. Then we discuss some tactics for getting comfortable riding again. Let's get started. My name is Paige Poss, and I have been trimming horses since 1999. I got started just because um, I had a lame horse and didn't really plan on trimming. I just was holding down the fort until I found a new farrier, and lo and behold, I fell in love with it. Then I started Iron Free Hoof. I still have ironfreehoof.com that has some good information on it. It's getting a little outdated. And then I also have anatomyoftheequine.com that is where I started doing dissections and taking detailed images of mainly legs and hooves 
And it started as a way for me to learn more about the legs and what I was working with, with the trimming. I have a science background and I'm a hands-on learner. And, and I just found that this was a way that I could really digest the information. And by taking pictures, I could often go back and get more information out of it. And then found that I started sharing these and I created Anatomy of the Equine and became a partner with Jenny Edwards, who's also been trimming almost as long as I have. She's a graphic designer, too. So this was a great pairing up of some, both of us trim, both of us are very interested in feet and horses and horse care, but I brought the photography and science part in, and she brought the graphic design and the real attention to detail, and we both had different tra uh, training. So it's interesting how a lot of times she sees something completely different than I do, and it's not even something in my radar. So that's kind of where I am now. I've moved from the East Coast. I'm now living in Tucson, Arizona, and came out here with all intentions of riding, and I'm not doing as much of that as I would like, but I'm building a trimming business, a limited trimming business, and continuing on with the anatomy stuff. So that's me in the nutshell. What kind of things are you focusing on anatomy-wise? Right now, Jenny and I are working on this hoof courses. It's an online hoof course that is set up for people to really understand the hoof. It's um, And that's been all-encompassing for the last few months. It's just taking the thousands and thousands and thousands of of images and putting them down into digestible pieces of information. And we're wanting to um, get this done and start promoting it um, and want to um, probably gear this initial phase of it to more professionals. But it's nice because we already have an eye to making it real digestible for owners too, just to understand the horse's feet better and understand hoof care better and, and changes that are occurring and why that might be occurring. Is it important for the average horse person to know anything about hoof care and trimming? It really is. And it's, that's a hard question for me to answer sometimes I feel like the information is geared towards somebody who has a true passion is trying to sell something, not even for money, but just whether it's an opinion or whatever. And I feel like a lot of owners get lost in the opinions that there are so many opinions out there. You know, it's important for people to understand the fundamentals of hoof care and not get necessarily drawn into the cult of hoof care. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So you're saying instead of latching on to whichever hoof care provider is the trendiest purveyor of an idea at the moment, go back to basics and look towards the anatomy of the horse in order to guide your understanding of trimming. And, and even more important than that is trust your horse. You know, I started trimming and I did a very invasive trim in the beginning. And 
my horses got where they absolutely would not stand and would not tolerate for me to trim their feet. And it's like, it's because I was hurting them. And they, so it's the horses told me that wasn't the right approach to do. And I find that whether you go more traditional or whatever, everybody is an individual Every hoof care provider, there are good ones and bad ones, whether it's in the farrier world, trimming world, veterinary world. So you have to trust your gut and look at your horse and trust your horse. Are there any basic fundamentals that you think horse owners really need to understand about their horse's feet? There's three or four things that I wish all horse owners understood. One, that Foot comfort is so closely related to health. Horses that are not healthy often are foot sore and there's they can have Cushing's disease. And, you know, a lot of times people think you get a test one time. And if that was clear, that means the horse didn't get it. You have to, if the horse starts exhibiting foot soreness and lameness and, and tender footedness and the horse has gotten a little bit older, you can have them tested every year and they may acquire it over time. So health plays a huge role. Back east, I dealt with a lot of horses that had Lyme disease and they often had laminitis that went along with the Lyme disease. And then if you didn't um, treat that or find that, then the horse, nothing I did helped the horse. A lot of horses have metabolic problems if you don't change the diet and increase exercise and stuff. So I just want owners to understand that just because something worked in the past doesn't mean the horse hasn't either gotten sick or acquired metabolic issues. It really is bigger than just the feet. So that's that's one thing I really think I wish I could drive home to owners the most. I know it's confusing. I know there's so many opinions out there. But in reality, a lot of professionals cannot fix the feet if the horse, the overall horse is broken. And the other thing is regular hoof care really is important. Not many horses, some do, but not many horses do well on even an eight-week cycle. And in a lot of parts of the country, eight weeks is kind of the standard. You know, if you'll keep it together, it's like teaching a horse self-carriage. You don't get self-carriage by just throwing away the reins and letting them fall apart and then collecting them again and letting them fall apart. You, you build that in by keeping them collected. And that's how I like to look at hoof care is that you want to kind of get the foot in a healthier frame and then Work to maintain that. Don't let it get bad. So those are probably the two biggest things. Health is directly related to how comfortable your horse is going to be. And regular hoof care is another thing that owners really can do for their horses. So I'm wondering if I can ask you to try to explain the anatomy of the hoof. That's a really huge ask. I can sum it up pretty quickly and somewhat easily. 
we're going to go that on the premise that most people know what a hoof looks like. You might not know the individual parts, but you know what the hoof looks like. And it's a harder shell. And in the front part of the shell is the coffin bone. And the reason it's called a coffin bone is because if history is correct or what I've heard is that it was like the hoof was the coffin and this was the bone inside the coffin because they fit like hand and glove like that. But the coffin bone is at the front of the hoof and it gives a lot of rigidity and structure. It's, it's attached. The wall is attached to the coffin bone with a layer of lamina that is similar to Velcro. Of course, it's not that simple, but you can think of it in those terms. And for anybody, especially horse people, we know this extremely well, Velcro works really good when it's brand new. But once it's been exposed to the life that we expose Velcro to, it can get dirty and gets where it doesn't really stick. Well, that's the difference between Brand new Velcro is a healthy foot that's attached to the coffin bone with good new Velcro. And when you start getting laminitis and problems, it's like the Velcro has gotten embedded with mud and hair and everything else. And so it still sticks, but it doesn't stick as well. So that's kind of the brief overview of how the coffin bone and the hoof capsule work together. And in healthy, you're going to have sticky new Velcro and in laminitis and inflammation in there, that's more like your Velcro has gotten embedded with things. And it's just not working as strongly as it did when it was new. Now you get to the back half of the foot where you see the heel bulbs and your frog. Believe it or not, that is built on cartilage and digital cushion. Digital cushion is a similar tissue to what you have on your heel. You know, the heel of your foot is a fibrous fatty tissue. It's meant to take concussion. It's meant to be deformable. It is meant to um, protect your navicular bone and deep digital flexor tendons. So these are important areas in the foot. Anybody who has a navicular horse knows we want to protect that. So the front of the foot has this bone in it, and that's attached the whole skeletal system. So when the, the horse is standing, they should primarily be standing so that this whole skeletal system going up the leg is supported. But the back of the foot is built more for taking the concussion. So when a horse starts moving, especially at speed and jumping, going down hills and things like that, the back of the foot, we hope, has enough cushion and resilience that it can dampen some of the concussion of this speed activity. But what the foot is not designed to do is to constantly be loading the back of the foot. You can get into trouble with that. And there's a couple of different things that are too complicated to get into now. But think of it as the back of the foot is like the shock absorbers or the shocks in your truck. 
can put a lot of weight in the back of your truck and go down a bumpy road and it kind of smooths everything out, takes care of the whole frame of your truck and make sure it doesn't get beat to death. But if you put too much weight in the back of your truck and you sit the truck down on the shocks and you go over that same bumpy road, it literally shakes everything in the truck. And that's what you kind of have to think about with a healthy foot is going to have a lot of digital cushion that's very supportive. And in an unhealthy foot, it might be thin cartilages, not much digital cushion, and the horse is just kind of standing in a way that they're loading that soft tissue all the time. So guess what happens when the horse is moving at speed? It's kind of jarring the whole skeletal system. This is, I think, where you get more arthritis and stuff. It's because you no longer have that energy dissipation between all the joints going up the leg. Finding the words to describe these things is so much harder. It's amazingly easy when I'm able to show the photographs that Jenny and I have put together in the little video clips and stuff, because these things just jump out at you. For me, everything is visual and tactile, and, and a lot of people don't have access to dissections. I know some people cringe at the thought of seeing dissections, but What Jenny and I do is we work very carefully to make sure that there is respect and and we want the tissues that we have access to to go for the good of the horse in general. And a lot of people, once they start looking at them and start understanding concepts, that it just expands their knowledge and, and they can recognize things that Words won't necessarily teach you like seeing the different tissue types and understanding the function and how things are put together. So that's what our books at Anatomy of the Equine are about. And then this hoof courses is where it's PowerPoints with me talking about the images and going through little videos. And and Jenny does some of the modules and she has the most awesome British accent. So Hers are more interesting to me. (laughs) But so hoof courses and anatomy of the equine are where we um, produce books and these online PowerPoints. So one other thing, though, you actually came to one of the dissections that I did, too. And I periodically do owner dissections. And and sometimes professionals come and you'd be surprised at how many times I have a mix of owners who know basically nothing about hooves to professionals who've been working in the field longer than I have. And don't you agree that you understood more of what you were looking at and how to handle feet by seeing the feet taken apart? Absolutely. It was spectacular to see it. I mean, just you can only gain so much knowledge by reading books and seeing diagrams and photos. It takes it to a whole other level when you're actually pulling that hoof wall off and seeing what the lamina looks like. And it really is like Velcro holding the whole hoof together and seeing the tendons and how they, they work when the hoof flexes and the pastern flexes. It was just spectacular. I, I'm so happy that I attended that clinic. It was 
awesome to see you there. And, and I think if I recall, we had a foot that had an abscess and you could see the internal damage. It just gave um, a great appreciation of why a horse would be in so much pain and why it would take so long to heal. And I think there was also a foot that had really bad thrush and you start seeing that there is sensitive structures inside that foot. And, you know, luckily it's protected in most horses, but when it's not, I found that understanding how the hoof could be um, compromised helped me the most even before I got started being a trimmer is that just I needed to know how can I help my horse the most and by understanding where it's more sensitive and more vulnerable I think helped me understand how to protect my horses better. And after seeing how deep a thrush infection can actually go I'm almost always <laughs> on the lookout and half panicking that my horses have thrush. <laughs> but it is interesting because I rarely in my business, I don't see that many horses with really bad thrush. I see horses that it's kind of getting there, but the horse is really built to protect itself. I feel like the, the hoof is kind of built so that pieces and parts can fail. And even when, if you get an abscess, you'll sometimes find, um, like if an abscess comes out at the bottom of the foot on the, next to the wall or something, the sole will actually grow a little bit more next to that area. It almost builds like its own little protection to protect that vulnerable spot. And it's amazing the different ways that the horse's foot can compensate. I'll tell you one of the absolute uh, greatest litmus test for telling how comfortable your horse is, is gravel. Oh my gosh. You can take a metabolic horse who's getting too many sugars. And I'll tell you an example of, I had this fat fjord pony that, this very naughty pony that I love to death, but I had her on dry lots. I had her on everything, muzzled all the time. And, and she was, she was metabolic because she, I just couldn't control the food enough. And so I started bringing her in and putting her in a stall during the day in the summer. And she would have her muzzle on all night long, be in a restricted area. I mean, some people say that's good, some bad. I experimented. Anyway, she would walk in across the um, gravel driveway and she would dive over to the side onto the grass. She was foot sore. She couldn't stand it. I would put her in the stall, give her fans and water and low sugar hay, and she'd stay in there all day long. And at the end of eight or nine hours, she would walk across the exact same gravel driveway and felt fine. And it wasn't just because she was going back out to the pasture because I experimented and that made her go back to the barn. <laughs> and she was completely comfortable. She had low-grade inflammation throughout her whole body when she had too many sugars in her diet, and it could be easily controlled. But my point was that within hours, she walked differently on the gravel. And you can use that on your own horse. It's just if you feel like you're overfacing her and she's not tolerating gravel the way she was even a couple of days before, 
then you know what? She might need a little bit of a rest or a little more protection on her feet. How do you think someone can best evaluate the job that their farrier or their trimmer is doing? It's kind of hard because sometimes a horse can be getting into trouble and they aren't necessarily foot sore. I think the thing that that worries me the most is when a horse's feet feel fine, but the capsule, it's almost like you've got that skeletal system with a coffin bone um, attached to the leg. And then all of a sudden you have your hoof capsule is like stuck out in front or the heels are rolled, you know, underrun or, or the horse, everything is just mismatched. And I, I think of it as like wearing a pair of shoes and your, your foot is hanging out the back and the whole front. Like you just haven't slid your foot all the way into the shoe because I think that that's the, the scenario that people get into the most trouble with is where the horse is comfortable until the day he isn't comfortable. And it's like the foot doesn't hurt, but all of a sudden your tendons and ligaments and everything just cry uncle and they start breaking down. You start having navicular problems. You start having suspensory ligament issues. You start having, you know, knee problems and things like that. That's probably the hardest one to teach owners to watch out for is, and that's, again, why showing people the anatomy and just getting them to kind of put the pieces together going, oh, you have this stuff on the inside and you need the outside to line up with it. It's just like having a set of shoes that fits you correctly. The only difference is that your foot is growing your shoe. And so if you had a shoe that didn't fit and you were growing it, that really would be more painful. Does that make sense? That's probably a really bad analogy, but... No, I think it's like if you were growing the shoe around your foot, but somebody was constantly allowing it to grow in a way that's imbalanced, then you would be uncomfortable. Yes, but you it, the, the changes would be so incremental that you might not be uncomfortable until you break. Does that, you know, that's mm. where I'm getting to is right. that sometimes just recognizing decent hoof shape is good enough. Every camp of hoof care seems to have an ideal. And I I wish there was a safe place to send people. And Jenny and I have had a, a thing where we want to put together another website called Hoof Basics that is just not ideal hoof shapes, but safe hoof shapes does that make sense because i see you know you have too much the mustang where everything's supposed to be absolutely pristine perfect bars do this frog does this walls do this this size this and then you have others and it's like i want people to see how really you just need the hoof capsule to be pretty darn you know around your anatomy and not pulling all the tendons and ligaments up the leg I mean, it's it's really pulleys and leverages is probably the part that gets people in most trouble is when the, the pulleys get overpulled and the leverages get overleveraged. Yeah. Without the proper education, that's really difficult to understand. And a lot of the average owner 
they just don't have the time to invest in learning all of that. So that being said, of all the years that I've had people reach out to me, though, wanting me to come work on their horse and they'll call and owners will say, I don't know what's wrong, but it doesn't look right. And I have learned that owners do see what's not right. They do. They don't trust themselves, though. They don't trust when the professional working on their horse is going, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But I tell people when they say that to me without me even seeing the foot, I know there is something wrong. The owner doesn't know what to do to fix it, but they do know when something's not right. And people just need to understand you know more than you give yourself credit. Well, and there's some simple things to look for. You know, if if it literally you've got the leg coming down and then you have the hoof just kind of is nowhere near underneath the leg, <laughs> that's a bad sign. And then if the heels are so tight that it literally looks like somebody has a um, a push-up bra on and your heel bulbs are all jammed up really tight. Well, that's not quite right either. But you'll have the other situation where the foot will be so spread out in the back that it's it's almost like the two heel bulbs are being separated from each other. And these are things that if you just kind of look for that look for comparisons I think the more you just pay attention to other horses feet you'll start seeing that you do recognize really bad stuff and you recognize stuff that's probably okay because your gut doesn't flip-flop when you look at those feet so we could do a whole course on that There's not enough time in the day for you to convey all of the information that you have. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me ask you some more personal questions. Do you enjoy trail riding? I love trail riding. I just somewhere along the lines, I became, when I started trimming feet, I became home for the lame and the insane. And I should have named my farm Possibility Farm. Get it? Poss is my last name. Because I was dragging home so many broken horses. They were literally either lame or crazy. And I got so busy fixing horses that I didn't ride that much. And then as I kind of got out of that phase where everything wasn't a guinea pig that I was bringing home, um, It had been so many years since I'd ridden that much that I had my one safe horse, Sophie, that you met, and I could kind of get on her no matter how long it had been. And and she's been my rock star for years and years and years. But but I grew up riding everywhere. I grew up spending the summer at my grandfather's and riding the Shetland ponies that had not been ridden all year, except for the one month I spent there every year. And all in the mountains and hay fields and everything else. I grew up in Arkansas and I rode extensively all by myself on my Shetland ponies and we had walking horses and, and, you know, a little quarter horse and I just rode and rode and rode. And then in high school, we moved to North Carolina and the same thing. I just 
lived at the coastal plain there, so I rode in really soft ground there, and I just I just rode extensively as a kid. And um, I have ridden since I've moved to um, Arizona, not as much as I would like. Um, now I'm down to a young horse who's just getting started. So, but um, trail riding is my first love. I love the training you can do. I love being outdoors. I like it's between you and your horse and, and, um, it's what I like to do. Do you have any places or particular trails that are on your bucket list? Lots. (laughs) (laughs) I, this so many, I mean, I, I miss riding in rivers. I miss, um, I loved riding in the mountains, just kind of anywhere. I guess for me, it's all about vistas. It's, it's anywhere that's good to hike. I'd rather be on a horse because <laughs> I'm lazy. I'd rather ride the horse. Um, but I love looking out and seeing the expanse around me. So I'm not, I don't have a particular one. I just want to get back on and start riding a lot. Well, you got to come out and visit me and you can ride river. I could do that. That would be awesome. I just have to figure out where you are at any given moment. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever experienced fear in riding? That's the biggest part that has kept me from riding as much as I want now is I have discovered that I'm somewhat of a serial monogamist when it comes to horses. So I just lost Sophie. She was 24 years old and I had her most of her life. And she was the one that I could go out on and just get on. And even then, she wasn't always the quietest horse in the world, but I did trust her. And I'm finding that I have this amazing fear to get on other horses. And I'm that's the part that's making it really hard to move on and and really get back on and start riding. So I'm actually have realized that I want to start getting on multiple horses. I want to borrow, you know, ride with friends and clients who have extra good horses like your horse river and stuff. And I feel like I need to get on a bunch of different horses. What's happened is as a kid, I would climb on anything. And then as time has gone on, I got used to one horse at a time and have gotten progressively more and more uncomfortable. And I think a lot of it is, you know, bad accidents over the years. I mean, I've had some crazy accidents just when you ride as much as as I did and had no adult supervision ever. Um, You did stupid things. So I've had enough falls and things happen that, um, you know, it instilled fear. But for me, it's, I'm dealing with it ever so slowly by reaching out and asking for help is the way that I'm doing it. I'm trying to get people to, who are not going to push me and tell me it's okay, but let me tell them when I'm ready to move on. That's a really good idea. I think a lot of people are ashamed of their fear or lack of confidence and they, they clam up and don't want to let anyone know. So It's really positive that you recognize it. Well, and it's so interesting because I'm so comfortable. I work underneath horses. I mean, and I shattered my leg 12 years ago working, doing farrier work where the horse 
I ended up underneath him and he stepped on repeatedly, repeatedly. And yet I still am okay working on their feet, which is stupid. I haven't been hurt that bad on, off the top of a horse. And, um, but I do pride myself in, in allowing other people to know I'm scared too, because I do see a lot of people who almost act embarrassed about it. And it's like, here, I am a professional horsewoman and I am riddled with riding fears. So you can be scared too. Everybody can be scared if they want to. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You are I think welcome. this is wonderful. I can't... Well, it's been a lot of fun going over this stuff with you and, and we should stay in touch. And, and I really, I would like to t- take you up on your offer to come ride and stuff because I think that's what it's going to take. And, and I think it's more important for me to get on multiple courses and have amazing um, experiences. And then that'll help me start breathing again. Thanks again to Paige for discussing her trade with me. Her work with anatomy is absolutely fascinating. She's dissected hundreds of legs and documented her work through her incredible photography. I love her passion for teaching and her easy-to-understand analogies that explain complex concepts. Her incredible dissection photography can be found in print and digital form. Electronic and print books are for sale through the website anatomyoftheequine.com. I highly recommend her books, not only as learning tools, but as works of art. Paige and her business partner, Jenny Edwards, have also created a series of online tutorials that take you through the layers of the equine distal limb and hoof. You can find them at hoofcourses.com. I hope you enjoyed this interview and learned something new about hooves. If you think you want to give trimming a shot, I encourage you to try. Knowledge is power, and you definitely have the power to take hoof care into your own hands. It's just a matter of education. My horses have remained sound over thousands of miles of challenging trails, including hundreds of miles of fast-paced endurance competitions. If I can do it, so can you. Well, that's it for today. You can connect with me at Happy Trails Podcast on Facebook or send an email to jess at rideclimb.com. I really appreciate your feedback. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, happy trails! The Happy Trails Podcast was created and produced by me, Jessica Isbrecht. The show's music was written and performed by Jason Shaw. 